So today we have let go of a lot. Just by being here, we have let go of some substantial attachment to our domestic, civic, social, professional, recreational activities, behaviors, and have come to this place of seclusion to do without much of what supports our life outside and to see if there isn't another way of working with the mind to understand <clears throat> our reliance and dependent on the conditions of this life in a way that is less oppressive, less uh, dukkha-filled, if you will. And if there isn't some way for greater disentanglement from that which entangles our hearts. And by undertaking the precepts, we let go of, or we train our, our heart to let go of some behaviors and speaking and acting that may be very habitual, causing ourselves and others uh, distress of one sort or another. And with that, we begin to uh, lay down a new track in the heart and the mind, a new way of relating to the experiences of this life. So that instead of acting out compulsively or obsessively or habitually, we're able to recognize the conditions and to choose a way to respond that is less uh, with less attachment, aversion, confusion, more understanding. And we do this by letting go, letting go of what we can intentionally, letting go of what we can by training the mind to be aware, letting go of mistaken beliefs, assumptions, through insight into the way things are rather than the way we have been led to believe they are. And all of these are in fulfillment of the practice of the second noble truth, which is to abandon the craving that's the cause of dukkha. And by doing this, we, you know, are walking the Eightfold Path and certainly have discovered the first noble truth of dukkha and maybe have some brief moments of less entanglement, less dukkha, less attachment, the third noble truth. So in this way we've lived, uh, lived to practice the four noble truths. And while it's not easy and it's not always pleasant, it is the way to learn how to let go so that we can be more free and more uh, open uh, to the fullness of life and to understand the dangers of uh, attachment 
and compulsion and obsession and habit. So this is our work and this is what we've done today and having done the best we could. Um, what more could we do really? You know, it's not that we need to buy something or do something different to make it to make our hearts more open or understanding or become something or read something. We just have to spend the time with our heart and see how it suffers and to let go of what we can when we see that we're holding on. So this is this is the work. And as the Buddha said, the gift of the Dharma is the greatest gift. And by practicing the Dharma as we have, we have uh, imbibed and taken in the Dharma. And as we live our life, we will share the Dharma, just in our behavior and the way we speak and the way we uh, approach conditions of life. And this can be both an immediate uh, relief to others, at least we're not bother them, but not bothering them, maybe even a benefactor to them. And uh, they can feel safe around us, knowing that we have some understanding or some compassion, at least trying to be sensitive to uh, living in harmony with one another. So in this way, you know, our practice of the Dharma is not really just for ourselves. While we do the work with our body, our mind, our suffering, everyone that we share life with gets the benefit. So in that way, our practice here is by itself a gift of generosity to everyone that we come in contact with in our life. And because we are looking at our suffering and the challenges in our life, and we're find, trying, trying to find and do find new ways of responding to the conditions of suffering rather than reacting, then we can be a source of information or guidance or a model for others. And in this way, our work is a compassionate action towards others. So this is a good way to spend our time practicing compassionate generosity in the development of wisdom. That's what the Buddha taught. That's what we did. This was a good day. So we should reflect in this way so that we can appreciate, you know, the benefit of having done the work, even if we've suffered and it hurts and we've been confused and there's still more work to do and we're exhausted. We did something good with our life today. So we can reflect on that. Nicha vata sankara upadua yadamino upakitua niruchanti desam upasamo suko. You know, the Buddha said, all conditioned things arising and passing away. They're impermanent. And seeing this, understanding this, is the key, or brings, the greatest happiness, which is peace. Hmm. May it be so.
for all of us. Thank you for your efforts today. It's always good to have people to practice with because it's difficult, (laughs) challenging, stuka. (laughs) But, you know, there's a big difference between experiencing dukkha and understanding dukkha. When we experience dukkha, we experience pain, insecurity, oppression, instability. But when we understand dukkha, yes, we still experience it, but the understanding is liberating. So we don't want to confuse the experience of dukkha with the understanding of dukkha. And gradually, as we get familiar with dukkha and how to work with it, then the understanding precedes indulging in or getting caught in or getting entangled in dukkha. So that's that's how we do it. Day after day, week after week, year after year, decade after decade, and if you're into it, lifetime after lifetime. Well, maybe. There's always the possibility we could wrap it up. (laughs) That's the Theravada view. So, thank you for your efforts. And of course, the hall is always open if you have some energy. You know, don't go, don't, don't, I mean, now you're at the peak of the momentum and your faith and your inspiration and your aspiration is clear. It's like, don't just blow it off and go to bed before you're tired. You know, come on. (laughs) You know, in the monastery where I went to Burma, uh, I went there, I was really on fire. I was just really fired up. I really wanted to figure out what mindfulness was, really. Get the benefit of whatever whatever it is. So I went to the monastery, and I wasn't in Burma. I'd never traveled out of the country. I just went right to Burma. And I didn't, I didn't do any sightseeing. I wasn't touring around. I wasn't interested in anything. Just get to that monastery and practice. So I got there and um, went to see Upandita. I'd met him when he came here the year before. And um, so he said, okay, yeah, here's your place where you can stay. And he said, here's the schedule. You know, you wake up at three o'clock and alternate hours of sitting and walking till 11 o'clock at night. He said, you can sleep as much as you like. Between 11 and three. (laughs) And he wasn't kidding. That was it. So, you know, none of us, not many of us are ready to just practice all day and sleep four hours, right? And, and you know, this is, a, this, is, <laughs> this is a monastery. This is not a hotel. This is a monastery. The bed was boards, you know, with a woven mat that was about, you know, an eighth of an inch thick. That was it. The pillow was a split log. <laughs> pillow, split log. And that was it. You know, somehow you get comfortable with that. Uh, you know, it took a while, but you do. And it was okay. So, of course, I set my alarm four hours, get up. 
practice, keep practicing. But because the meals were at 5.30 in the morning and 10.30 in the morning, ooh, if you ate those meals, and then from 10.30 in the morning till 11 at night, that's a long time to go without food. So I shift, I got the meals at the right time, but I shifted my practice to where I, I went to bed at, uh, you know, like nine o'clock and then got up at one. So I didn't have so, I could put my meals in the middle of my waking hours, you know, a little bit, tried to. And because you can't eat anything afternoon. Okay. So I was doing four o'clock, four, four hours reporting to Saito Pandita every day. And, uh, you know, go in, bow, give you a report, what's going on, gets translated. He, tra he says something back and you're all done. Ten minutes, walk out. So one day, I don't, I don't know what happened. Uh, I, I was in bed for five hours. Either I set my alarm wrong, I didn't hear the alarm, I don't know what, but five hours. But when I realized that, whoop, got up, went. So I went to my interview that day, and normally I go to the door, and I walk in, and then he's, he's sitting in a chair over there about where the lady is, huh? So you walk in, you go over, do your bows. I opened the screen door, stepped inside, and from over there he said, how many hours did you sleep last night? I wanted to say, oh, I only sleep four hours a night, but I said, well, I usually sleep four, but last night I slept five. Please try harder. End of interview. <laughs> but you know what? While that was kind of intimidating, that was kind of like, whoa. <laughs> you know, when you're practicing with someone who knows his mind in your mind that well, you got nothing to hide. You got nothing to hide, you know. You just give up. You just you're just willing to acknowledge this is the way it is, and it can be terrible by your own standards of judging, you know, as we do judge and evaluate. And you just think, oh, this is useless. This is terrible. I'm doing crappy, but you know what? That's not his view. You know, a few weeks into into practice, you know, I was really fired up, and I could see the first two or three weeks it was really practice was getting much better, and then, geez. You know, one day or over the course of a couple of days, I don't remember what, but it just fell apart. It just, it just, it just went to pieces. I could not even remember what I was doing. I, the breath, what I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know what mindfulness was. I didn't know anything. I couldn't remember a friggin' thing, and it was just total chaos in the mind. It really, it was just like a mess. There was no tranquility. There was no clarity. It just seemed like I lost it. So that day, I go to the to the to the door, and I walk in, and I just wanted, I just said to him, you know, <clears throat> I'll come back tomorrow. <laughs> Meaning, you know, not going so good today. I just I'll come back tomorrow, and he goes, huh? <laughs> that was Uba, Uba Lita. He says, huh? And usually, you know, he for those of you who've heard stories of him, he's pretty. He's a big guy. He's pretty stern. He's not a smiley type of guy, but he's pretty, pretty demanding. He gets you to work really hard. And uh, he says, huh, well, you know, he says, come in, come in here. What's, what's going on? You know, through his translator, come in. So I was like, oh, I was so, I was so scared. You know, just like, oh, I don't know, I was just a wreck. So I just said, you know, it's not going so good today. I'll, I'll come, I'll, I'll, I'll be back tomorrow. 
And he said, well, what's, what's going on? Just tell me what's going on. And I go, well, it's a mess. It's like my mind is all over the place. And it's just, you know, it's like, blah, blah, blah. you know, I just, I can't, I can't even remember. The and the more I talked, the happier he got. <laughs> I kept talking like that. He goes, yeah, he's smiling. And he's just, and I, and I thought, <laughs> what's going on? So at the end of my report, he says, you know, sometimes when the yogi thinks they're doing really good, the teacher knows, mm, well, maybe they could do better. And sometimes when the yogi thinks they're doing really terrible, the teacher knows they're really doing really good. Mm. And that was very reassuring. I mean, I did not understand what was going on. Mm. But then I realized I needed that with that with that interview, I realized I have to stop judging my experience by my ordinary misinformed expectations of what good practice is. And later I come to realize, oh yeah, that's, you know, when you see, when you see how quickly uh, experience is arising and passing away in the mind, the body, I mean, you really see it, it's like that. It's like total chaos. Just, but you see it so clearly, but it's just not what you expect. You know, it's not calm, it's not blissful or anything like that. It's just overwhelming. But it's insight. You really see, oh, that's the way it is. But later you come to understand that's what you saw. So I, I tell you this so that, you know, whatever, whatever you struggle with today, you know, anything, you know, don't, don't evaluate it through the lens of your ordinary understanding of if it's pleasant it's good if i'm comfortable it's good if i'm you know if i like it that's good because well it may be good but even if it was a struggle and it was painful and there's a lot of hindrances and defilements you're exhausted and things you know that doesn't mean it's bad practice it can be really good practice so you know we have to we have to learn to put aside our conditioned our conventional social conditioned appraisal of personal experience and try to see the experience in a, in not, we don't need to appraise our practice at all. We just need to appraise our effort. If we're making the effort, we're doing the best we can. And let the Dharma unfold. Let the Dharma teach you rather than trying to control uh, what, you, what you learn or confirm what you've read in the books or something. And... Uh, you know, the mindfulness is really powerful. It really works. So, <laughs> that's the way it was. <laughs> but just to finish up that sleep thing, I tell this story once in a while, just not, not because anybody should do what I did. But after, you know, a couple of months, I, I was waking up before the alarm. So I made a vow that I wouldn't wait four hours. I would just, when I woke up, I would get up. I would, it didn't matter how long I slept. I just wake up, get up, start practicing. And after, you know, somewhere after a few more months, it was like I was only sleeping about an hour to an hour and a half a night and did that for about four years. And it, it's not harmful. Didn't get sick. Didn't, you know, didn't sleep during the day. And when I would decide finally to go to to go to bed, you know, I would I would lay down on that board, on those boards, 
and I would put you know, one hand on my belly, one hand on my heart, and would be asleep instantly. And it would be instantly wake up. No dreams, no toss, no turn, no thoughts, nothing. It's just clunk, clunk, up. <laughs> Another 23 hours to go. <laughs> it's like, and you know, I mean, as a lifestyle, it sounds terrible, but it was great because it was just practicing. And, you know, the, the reason we get tired is because we think a lot. And thinking is what tires us out. And when you're just being aware of your thoughts and you're not thinking, but you're just aware of, you know, the body and the mind, momentary experience, and you're not evaluating it, it's like the mind doesn't get tired. It just stays awake all the time. It's really, it's unusual. But if I had tried to do that, oh, then there's ambition and try anything. I didn't try. I didn't try anything. It's just, I made the vow. Wake up, get up. You know, I was just taking advantage of the momentum of the awareness and using it to just see what's going on. That's why I say, you know, here at the retreat, now you have, you've worked hard for uh, eight days and you have a lot of momentum and you have the most faith and the most aspiration and the most clear mind and the most energy. It's like, and it doesn't take much. You know, the schedule, the schedule of our group practice is over today. But some of you are still not, you're not falling asleep in your chair or on the cushion. You know, and just to, you know, get up, walk out, get a drink, you know, have a tea, something, come back and just sit, even if it's just 15 minutes, to extend your day beyond the minimum really is empowering. It really gives you a sense of, you know, this practice is for me. This practice is my practice. It's not for the schedule. It's not for the teachers. It's not for anybody who's, that you're here with or that sees you practicing or not. It's for you. It's to really understand your own mind. And to that's the only way to do it. You just have to own your practice. And the the, the beliefs you have about yourself, about I need this much sleep, and I'm, you know, some people, you know, in our in our lives outside of retreat, we need so much sleep, and I need to eat this much, and da, 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 da. you know, those we've we've adapted to a certain lifestyle, in our conventional, domestic, professional, personal, you know, life, and so we want to, you know, respect that, and when you come on retreat and you develop your mind, and you let go of things, then all bets are off. You know, don't believe what you think about yourself. Don't believe it. But work with awareness to see, actually, how is it for you? Yeah, the hardest thing is to not be- not give in to your beliefs that says, I gotta, God, it's 10 o'clock, I gotta, I gotta be in bed by 10.30, even though you're wide awake. You think, yeah, but if I don't, if I don't go to bed by 10, 10, 15, I'm not going to be able to get up. Well, don't get up. You know, stay up while you while you have energy. Stay up and practice. And if you if you sleep in, so what? Sleep in. If you miss breakfast, so what? You know, at least you take advantage of the momentum and the kind of the confidence, the energy, and the the clarity that you have. So it's like rules are. You know, the, the schedule and the rules and stuff like that is like minimum. Yeah, but then when you own your own practice, you really take it on, it's like, 
This is important to me. You know, it's for me. It's for me to know my own mind. It's for me to let go. It's for me to challenge the uh, self-imposed limits that I have in my own mind. Then you'll discover something about yourself that you don't know. Guarantee. Guarantee. Great to have you here. Carry on. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.